Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to episode 61 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Giselle Tadros joining us. Dr. Tadros is a physical therapist of over 20 years, working with babies for the past 15. She was approached by an IBCLC in her area who runs a mommy group where Giselle has spoken about movement and tummy time. The group was in desperate need for a therapist who understands ankyloglossia and the need for movement and addressing issues. So Dr. Giselle Tadros started doing some research. She attended all of Michelle Emanuel's classes as well as Talk Tools courses, and she was fascinated by how this seemed to be right up a PT's alley. So now, in addition to her regular PT business, she has created a branch, Milk Matters PT, that helps moms of babies with feeding issues related to tongue or lip ties. Giselle, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's not every day that we have a PT with us, so I'm excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm equally excited. So let's talk about how you got into the space, right? You're a physical therapist, and you work with a lot of POTS babies, and you know, what, what got you into this space? So about five years ago, I started my own practice here um, in New Jersey, and I had been working before in a hospital, and, you know, there's a lot of pressure to see a ton of babies, and just, like, I wasn't really able to treat the way that I wanted to. So I started my own practice so that I could do more one-on-one care and really um, approach children with a holistic point of view. Um, And so I used to go and speak at the mom group sort of in our community, And um, one of the ladies, the moderators at the hospital, she's actually a lactation consultant. And she said to me, you know, we have a lot of babies that have tongue and lip ties. And I really had only heard the words, but didn't really know what it was and how it could affect them. But she said, like, I've heard that PT can really be beneficial. Um, Would you be willing to learn about this? And so, you know, I was just starting my own business and you don't turn away clients. And so I said, sure, but just give me some time so I can learn about it. So I started to research and I found Michelle Emanuel and I went to a couple of her classes and I have to tell you, I was fascinated by it. I actually think it has everything to do with PT because, you know, we just, we know all about muscles. We know when to turn them off. We know how to um, turn them on. We know how they should be going. We know how to strengthen them quickly. We know how to build their endurance. And so for me, it just made sense that a PT would do this. And I'm always surprised that not more PTs are, are doing it, but that's just how it is. Um, and it's been amazing. And then I think one of the other great things that's come out of it is once you're doing feeding, you're seeing, not feeding, but seeing kids that have feeding issues and looking at their whole body and seeing so many other things that normally a pediatrician or whatever won't catch earlier. So if there's some kind of stiffness or tightness or um, preference for something, we can easily correct it very quickly in the first few months and then not have to wait till a child 
isn't crawling to figure out why to treat it. So it's just made me as a PT better in terms of my entire practice and not just the tongue ties. I love hearing that because, you know, obviously tongue ties and lip ties affect more than just feeding, right? And so like, I know you're not doing feeding therapy, but obviously the work you're doing is supporting their ability to feed. And it's so important that we have that body work component, which is why, you know, I preach that in my practice. And obviously for those who listen to the podcast, they know that we talk all the time about how we're connected from, I always say from the tip of our tongue all the way down to our toes, um, because we know what that tethered tissue really does to the entire body. It's not just what's going on in the mouth. It really impacts the whole body. And I've obviously lived through this with, um, I had one who was, who was tongue tied, but she was ahead of all her motor skills and it never impacted her motor skills, even though she had a tight neck and she, you know, but she has some feeding issues at four and a half still that we're working through. And, you know, they've turned into those myofunctional issues. And I have, I look at her whole body and I go, huh, like maybe there is more to this that I missed because that's not something I was looking at four years ago. Whereas with my second who we released on day five of life, you know, she had also had the head and neck preference, the tight neck on one side. Yeah. Um, both my kids had that. And but for her, it seemed a little more prominent, even though we released the tissues early on. And so, you know, taking her to PT and and then take her to osteo and CST. And, you know, that was really um, our, that's really what helped her progress through her mower milestones because she was that kid who would use her both hands to weight bear, but only weight bared on one leg um, and drag the other and never called until after she walked. And so, you know, as a mom, it, it, it makes so much sense to me. And it's, it's also a little sad because there aren't PTs there, you know, and I have a couple in my back pocket that mostly work with like older peds and adults, but I don't know of any PTs that are local to me that work with babies in the extent that you're describing that work with, you know, um, kids who are tongue tied and lip tied. And so it's definitely an area of needs. So I'm really excited to hear that you're doing that because Michelle Emanuel's been phenomenal. I love her. Um, she's a dear colleague and friend of mine. And so I always get really excited to hear when people are learning from her because she's such a wealth of information and I feel like everybody needs to take her classes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. when I first heard about it and she was describing how like having a restricted tongue can inhibit entire movements, I don't know, I guess I wasn't buying it at first, but then there's this big video floating around on YouTube that shows that fascial line and how everything comes up to the tip of the tongue and how the tongue is so big part of it and it's fascinating. And then once I started putting all this stuff into practice, I was like, not every baby with a tongue tie has torticollis, like it didn't make sense to me. And then sometimes, like you said, the torticollis doesn't present like a typical torticollis because when there's one specific muscle that's tight, as a PT, we expect certain symptoms and it doesn't really fit. And so I just feel like this just opened the door to my eyes of being able to look at a whole body and how the tongue really can significantly inhibit or facilitate movement. So it's like, all these babies that parents say they hate tummy time, like babies don't hate tummy time. There's yes. something stopping them. Yes. You know, it's just like saying a baby is colic. No, they're not. <laughs> There's something wrong. Babies aren't going to just cry for three hours, three days a week. Like it doesn't right. make sense. Let's figure out what it is. So I don't know. I just feel like it's so dramatic how we can affect their development and their progress that 
I don't know, every PT should take it. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm so glad you said that because I've talked to others about that where um, I was talking to somebody on one of the recent podcasts and she said, colic isn't real. Colic is not a thing. It is basically something that we have created to slap a label on what's going on. Rather, it's a Band-Aid instead of, like, oh, they're just colic, instead of actually looking at what's causing that. What is the root issue underlying this behavior? And so I love to hear, I love hearing people say that because I completely agree. And, you know, and look, yes, okay, call it colic if that's what you want to call it, but why? Why is this happening, right? And, and so we, we talk so much on this podcast about how it affects feeding, and we've talked about the body a bit with some body workers, but definitely not enough. So can we also talk about like the impact that it has just on babies' development in general, as well as like, like you talked about their temperament a little, right? These babies who hate tummy time. I get so many of them in my <laughs> office, and as soon as a parent says to me, oh, they hate tummy time, I go, I need to look under that tongue, like right now, <laughs> because I, these are my babies who typically are, have tethered tissues, and they are impacted throughout the body and their core and their neck. And it doesn't feel good. If they don't like being on their belly, why don't they like being on their belly? What is going on? How can we help them? How can we change this? Because we know how much of a developmental um, uh, posture, you know, that posture is so important to their overall development and gaining head and neck control and core strength. You know, um, obviously you're the PT. So I'd love for you to speak about just the overall development and their temperament. Um, and we can even talk a little about, about sleep too, because I know posture wise, this all impacts how they sleep, what position they sleep in, temperament around sleep. Um, so yeah, can you speak to some, I know that's like, we could fill the rest of the podcast with all that, but can you talk <laughs> about just, you know, temperament and full body impact? Yeah. I mean, Michelle Emanuel has this great little video on her, um, on her website, but I always think of it too, like that fascial tightness or restriction. Think about when you're like, I don't know, like at a store and you try on something that's like way too tight for you. You thought it was going to fit. And then you're trying to take it off. Like you just can't move, right? You're trying and you're fumbling and it's, it's uncomfortable. And so I just love that analogy because I feel like it allows adults to understand like what it is that their baby is feeling there's a restriction it's tight you can't move the way you naturally would and so they don't because it bothers them um and so that's basically what happens and how everything becomes impacted and i think for sleep it has a lot to do with the airways so they you know babies are trying to optimize the amount of air that's going in and so that they can breathe. So they're opening their mouth, they're snoring, there's wheezing, there's all kinds of things happening just because they're trying to get oxygen. And it's very subconscious. They're not doing it on purpose, obviously. But I do find that there's some parents that come to me because they don't want to get their tongue released and they want to do more just conservative type treatment. Um, and then, you know, the, that issue with the mouth always hanging open or whatever, and, you know, it's hard for me because I do have to convince them that it's important for them to get it fixed because when, if you can't breathe, I mean, nothing really matters otherwise. Um, and so, you know, the posture of the mouth is really important because it shows if the tongue is functioning well, um, if it's causing um, any kind of blockage of the airways or whatever. Um, and then again, we naturally were meant to develop on our bellies. So, you know, with the whole back to sleep movement, babies are spending more and more time on their back. But the reality is we're supposed to be on our bellies. And um, that helps us stretch out of that fetal position that we come out of. And sometimes parents forget that their baby hasn't just been alive from their birth date. Their baby's been alive for nine months before that and they were positioned and tight. And so you have to take all of that into consideration. 
Um, and, you know, babies come out with all that and then you're presented in this new world where there's gravity and all these things and it just makes it really hard for them. So um, it just be, not being able to be on your tummy or struggling to lift your head up or, you know, like you said, with your daughter, one leg dragging behind, there's, there's reasons for this and it can all be addressed and fixed um, if we look at the root cause. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Lily, my first one, who we didn't release until she was two, um, she slept in like a tripod with her tushy up in the air. And, you know, and now I know that's like an airway thing. She was trying to get more air into her poor little body. And as a mom, I'm like, holy cow, like, I'm lucky that she figured out a way to do that for herself. But like, obviously not yeah. optimal. Um, with Mia, it's so she, fascinating to me, right? It's yeah, so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, how the bodies, like you have to watch these little human bodies, like what our bodies, even as adults, obviously, like what our bodies will do and compensate with in order to survive. Like breathing is going to take precedence over everything else. So what is our body doing to make sure we open our airways? Well, we know in some people, it pushes the jaw forward, the head and neck might sit forward, we get that hunched back. You know, if you have a tight neck, you might also be a little bit over to the side. That's going to, you know, so there's just so many different pieces to the puzzle. And like, you know, it's, it's fascinating. My, my second one also always slept on her belly and, um, but flat on her belly. And I was that mom who was like, I know there's this whole like, back to sleep campaign for SIDS. <laughs> There's this, but if my child is constantly flipping herself over, like even as a, a young baby, and maybe it's because she was tight and like she was like she could just do it because everything moved together. Um, I was like, I'm not going to move her. Like it's not worth it to me to keep flipping her back over. Like if she seems to need to sleep in this position for some reason. And to, the, to this day, she's a belly sleeper. And both of my kids, despite having tots and one supposedly having like torticollis, but not really torticollis, um, they both have beautiful head shapes. So I'm very happy with my decision to let them sleep on their bellies. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I have to say, I mean, I slept my kids on their side. Um, until they were able to roll over. Um, but I think that was just because my husband was like annoying. <laughs> I tried. I really tried the side sleeping. <laughs> I, I would try the side sleeping. And I remember, I can't remember if this was Lily or Mia, but one of them would constantly end up on their face, like face down. Like, and I was like, I know that their face is not completely smushed into the mattress and it's a hard mattress, so we should be okay. But it's still just as a new mom, I think it was Lily, as a new mom, it just freaked me out. So I was like, I'd rather position her like in a way where I know like, if I fall asleep, she's safe. And even if she's laying like, you know, on her belly with her head turned one way rather than her face down, I just yeah, feel like exactly. I'll be able to sleep better too. Oh my no, God. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but and then in terms of me just being a PT, I think we were talking about this before, but I do feel like it's completely changed the way I practice. So I have such a more, I don't know, a softer, more gentle approach to PT because I know even people come to me now where they say they have torticollis and the doctor taught them to pull on the head and pull on the shoulder and stretch them and hold it even if they're screaming every diaper change. And it's just like, I don't do that anymore. I don't do it in my practice. I don't believe in stretching. I don't think it's effective. I would rather put the baby in control and have them do these soft, subtle movements through active movement and positioning um, that allows them to sort of be a little bit more in control. And so, like I said, it's really changed the way that I practice PT in general. Um, and it's been great to, to learn from moms too, because moms have figured out a lot of these compensations and they help me figure out how to help others. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and I think that's a really cool thing that you point out where you're saying don't stretch against the tightness, like don't stretch against like that torticollis because 
that's also, I was basically told to do that and from a, you know, more traditional PT and that's what they were working on. And obviously Mia hated it and she would cry and fuss and didn't want to do it. And, you know, as a mom, I'm sitting here going, okay, just suck it up, mom. Like, this is helping her. Like, this is good for her. Like telling myself that. And now, now that I've spoken with others who are more about like modern counter strength techniques, like physical therapists in my, my little world, um, they have said, no, like you should actually kind of, you want to move the neck towards the tightness and the shoulder, you know, the head and the neck kind of towards each other to then maybe like release it away. And like in a very gentle movement, like not, you know, and the baby's not going to mind that because it's already tight. So it's not like you're pulling against the tightness. It's not going to hurt them. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Like, oh my gosh, like, yes. <laughs> and I'm, you know, and here I am as a mom being like, oh, I wish we had done that like early on. And obviously I missed the boat with that one on Mia, but, um, but it really, it was a really cool concept to learn about. And that's why I like having such a collaborative team of people who all come at this this whole tongue tie arena and, you know, full body impact, holistic treatment from like different walks of life, like all of our different backgrounds together is so imperative because the little things that you might see, or that one of our other colleagues might see on a shared case, it's, it completely trains, changes how we treat. Right. And it's, it's obviously for the benefit of the patient, that baby or whoever we're treating. So, um, you know, so that's, that's very, um, yeah. I did those traditional stretches for years before I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to try something else because the babies are crying. The moms are crying. I hate doing it. There's got to be a better way. Like this cannot be the only answer. And so, yeah, I mean, we've all, we've all been there. And as long as we're constantly, like you said, learning and like learning from one another and trying to, you know, with the baby's best intentions, I think that we're on the right track. Yeah. Well, and one thing you mentioned um, when we were talking before the podcast is that, you know, and you did talk about this slightly here too, is that some parents will come to you and kind of want you to adjust out that tie, right? Or do you like, you know, more manual therapy rather than going for the actual release procedure? Um, And I know that we find, and you've said like oftentimes that we find that the release unlocks the door, doesn't open it, but that we need to help figure out like correct muscle memory that's needed for sucking and you know, the right techniques. And so can you speak a little bit to that? Cause I know obviously like one, the one side of it is we get families who come to us who are like, I'm not sure if I even want to do the release and we kind of know it's needed. But then on the other side, we also know it's not just about the release. There's like that whole other world surrounding the pre and post-op of the release. So I'd love to know like a little bit about how you approach that with families. Yeah, sure. And I think you said it so beautifully too, because I've done like the talk tools Um, courses with Robin Walsh and she's also myofunctional and a speech therapist and so um, she always says it's about function it's about function it has to be about function and then of course you know Michelle Emanuel's on a little bit of a different train that says it has to be released there's a tongue tie there's going to be a lot of issues it has to be released so I find I mean I guess I just look at each baby differently but um there, I would definitely say that there's some kids that probably could get by with feeding if they have a tongue tie, but there's not any specific issues at hand. But as you know, the research does show that later, if their tongue isn't reaching the roof of their mouth, they may have speech issues. Their teeth aren't going to grow incorrectly. There could be airway issues and all that stuff down the road. But I do think as a new mom, sometimes that is coming to you and they're so nervous about this release, if they're not having actual feeding issues, then I think it's okay to kick the can down the road a little bit Mm -hmm. until the baby does present with something else. 
So that's just my approach to it because I do like to link it to function. I think that that's important just for the well-being of the family unit. Um, you know, because as you know, and as you've seen, the release can sometimes, there's a little bit of regression in feeding and there's other things that can happen. So they were like, we were doing good. And then someone told me that my baby was going to have autism. And so I got scared and did the release. And now it's a mess. She won't take a bottle. She won't eat. She won't do anything. And so, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard as a parent, as you know, to make these decisions when you're still just learning how to care for a little baby. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I love that you say that actually, because there are so many amazing people in this space who are teaching us and, you know, we've launched our feed the peds course and now I'm teaching on like the tots and myo stuff within that course. And we've got an OT in there with us, plus other speech therapists working in various different realms. Um, and so it's been really cool to kind of bring all of our knowledge together, but we get these questions. Well, do you always release a tie? And when do you not release a tie? And, you know, what I always come back to is, um, well, if there is no functional impact, is it truly a tie? No, it, it, there need to be symptoms in place for it to be a tongue tie. However, if we feel that, however, on one side, some parents don't realize that certain symptoms babies exhibiting actually are related to that tight tethered <laughs> tissue, right? So there are actually symptoms, but they were not previously discussed. We always have to do like a comprehensive evaluation. On the other side, like you mentioned, well, while we know what could be happening down the road, if this baby is feeding well, and baby right now has two primary things, right? Like feeding and breathing at the moment, but obviously there's a lot more going on. I'm totally downplaying all the other developmental milestones. Um, but I, you know, but we need to be able to breathe and we need to be able to eat to sustain life. And if we can't, obviously there's some other significant interventions that, that take place. Um, so I always tell parents too, like, let's not rock the boat. Like if baby's feeding well and you haven't had any feeding issues, but you're concerned about those tight tissues and there really aren't any other big symptoms we're just kind of looking at this and it looks like a heart-shaped tongue but everything seems to be progressing on the normal developmental milestone timeline and baby's feeding okay and crawling now and sitting up and you know and we really don't see like major deficits then i also will say hey like these are what this is what we want to look for this is what we should and if at some point in the next couple months couple weeks like something changes let's revisit this like you know let's not just table it for good um so i love that it's you know you kind of look at it i think similarly as i do like let's have an ongoing open conversation like let's return if we think there are some issues like i agree with you that tissue under the tongue looks tight but baby can have some regression and some feeding issues if we release the tongue and all of a sudden like let's say they're compensating super well right now and we release that tongue and then they can't compensate anymore and then we start to have feeding issues that weren't in place before regardless of the pre-op that we did you know so that's why like there's no clear-cut way to approach every case and i love discussing this with people who get it because it's one of those topics <laughs> where was like i have people they're like well what's your protocol how do you do this and i'm like I can give you three common scenarios of what it might look like, <laughs> but every case is different. So it makes me really happy to hear like other people get it. <laughs> yeah, actually you just gave me um, an idea. Like I do make parents fill out like a checklist, right? Like are you having difficulty latching? Is there discoordinated suck swallow? Have you had mastitis or plugged ducts or whatever? All these things, white tongue, yeah. high arch palate, like all these things so that they start to just sort of keep that in their back pocket but i wonder if it, i should maybe create like more of a handout or something that they could take home and be like watch out for all of these things and you know call me back <laughs> yeah yeah and that's like we've actually been working on more of like a tongue tie like checklist or something to that effect exactly because normally i'm sitting here like after each one and i'm going 
all right, for this child, like look for these things. <laughs> and it takes so much time to create yeah. that. Like when it's actually for so many babies, depending on where they are, we could probably create like one document that says like between these ages, watch for this, between, you know, based on like the milestones they should be hitting. And you know, oh, if we have concerns that they're not, that this isn't happening or you start to see this, like call me back. Um, yeah, I mean, I think parents really appreciate that because you know, as a mom of a two and a four year old who's not that far away from having been in that baby stage, I feel like my brain is starting to finally come back to like <laughs> where I was before having kids. So, yeah, well, I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> well, disclaimer: if it doesn't get read, written down or put on my calendar, it yeah. doesn't happen. Oh, okay. But I can. I feel like my brain functions better than it did even a year ago. So <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Well, I have three kids, so I'm gonna use that as my excuse. <laughs> but in all honesty, my son, my middle son, was like a happy spitter. Was never able to breastfeed. Um, you know, I put him on a bottle and he, um, you know, like I said, was like spitting up so much, but it never really bothered him. And it wasn't until he started to really talk. And then he was like seven or eight before I realized that this kid has a tongue tie. And so he was released at nine and he, um, you know, got speech therapy. But for sure, there was just like picky eating, poor chewing, delayed speech. There's like so much, his teeth are so crooked. And so... I don't know that any of us have the right answer of like maybe doing nothing isn't the right thing, but I don't know. I mean, you just, yeah. this yeah. is the dilemma of being a parent. Right. Well, and then you also get to the point where I know there's providers in the country who are super taught savvy and they do great releases, but they will not release a toddler because they feel like it's just too difficult. And, you know, I've got an, I've got an oral surgeon locally who does beautiful releases regardless of age. Like, and we've got the toddler ones down and usually I'm like, Hey, can we suture that one on up? Because it's going to be impossible for mom to get in there and do post-op. It's going to be traumatic for both of them. Like, let's just suture that kid up because the, the extra pain those sutures will cause is much less than the pain that's going to cause mom <laughs> and child, you know, with all the anxiety and stress that's going to come from trying to do active wound care. Um, and so we, we've got our system in place and we do release toddlers, but they obviously have to go through that, that pre-op, you know, therapy. And again, people always ask me, well, what's your pre-op? therapy protocol like what do you have them do and I'm like that's completely dependent on how they present like everybody's different it depends it doesn't matter if like this two-year-old and that two-year-old come to me for pre-op their pre-op plan I might have like a general bank of exercises that I pull from in my brain but how I adapt it to every child and what I the reason I'm using it for every child and like our end goal is well we might obviously want like you know tongue up closed mouth proper swallow postures proper or proper oral rest postures and we want like you know i pull in my team to work on the other areas of the body yeah we've got similar end goals but how we get there always looks very different and yeah even, yeah. yeah even the end goal can look different from one child to the next and you know For what sure. they're able to do or what we expect them to do so um i know you also having obviously trained under Michelle and Robin and, you know, you get the whole pre-op thing. So what do you, like, what do you do for pre-op and in, in general with like your patients? Um, a lot of times I just work on tongue range of motion okay. just to like optimize the amount of motion that they have going in. Cause that's what we do with like rehabbing a knee, right? You like optimize the strength and you optimize the range of motion before going in so that the body has that muscle memory a little bit to go back to when they need it. So just, it's a, it actually looks very similar to what my post-op protocol is, which is range of motion and sucking <laughs> yeah. and strengthening. Um, but it's just doing it all early so that um, the baby can do it. And then of course, addressing any of that tightness that I see through like 
really gentle, like craniosacral and string chemistry and all those kinds of things that we were talking about. Parents are always amazed how effective just like your hands on them to um, can be. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I love, um, gosh, I wish you were local to me. <laughs> it's like, I know, I feel the same. It's, it's so hard to like meet such an amazing person who really truly gets it and does like <laughs> what the babies need because there really aren't a lot. I mean, we have some really great osteopaths and um, we have got craniosacral, but I don't really know of any PTs in my area. Maybe they're here and I just haven't found them yet that do what you do and that really get it from like the tongue, full body tongue tie standpoint. And so sometimes when I say to a parent, okay, I want you to go see, you know, this craniosacral therapist, the osteopath, we have some resistance if that's a new thing for them. And they're also out of pocket, not covered by insurance. Yeah. Um, so, but for some reason, if I say, Hey, I want you to go see like, you know, our PT, they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like PT, like that makes, you know, it's almost like the way our medical system is ingrained certain thing in people's yeah. brains. Um, yeah. And know, we are, we're covered. They'll get reimbursed, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's so such a nice, uh, yeah, we help with that. And you were saying before, I say this all the time to my, my patients, but my husband is a pharmacist. And so I'm a PT. If you come to us and say you have back pain, well, he's going to tell you a slew of medications to take. And I'm going to tell you a bunch of exercises that you should be doing. So it's like you said, we're all different and we all have answers, but they're not always the same thing. And the combination is really where the, the magic happens actually. Yeah. yeah. So with COVID and the pandemic we're living in right now, what have you done? Like, are you doing anything differently? Are you still able to do in person? Have you moved everything online? What does that look like for you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those rabbit holes. <laughs> I know. So I do, you know, one-on-one -on -one care. And because some of the babies that I see are quite little, and also because my office like you is in my house, we did make the decision to not do anyone, any in-home, in-person visits. So everything yeah. has been moved virtually. Um, and as you know, also that like, you know, it's been interesting for me because I do feel like there was sort of this buzz about teletherapy and, and trying it out, but we really were just like launched into it and forced <laughs> to do it. Um, so I learned sort of, you know, what parents can do on their own. And it's really, I think it, it's been great for me because I'm, I'm really enjoying the educating and empowering parents that they could do it and not just like a here, fix my baby, mm -hmm. um, approach. Um, but I do feel like there's something missing. So I've been able to do it, but I have to say that I, I can see their frustration and I certainly have frustration because I mean, the, the, the uniqueness of physical therapy is that we put our hands on people. And just like you guys, I mean, some stuff you have to demonstrate and they don't know pressures and where and all that kind of stuff. So I am looking forward to having children in here. Like, you know, I'm in New Jersey, we've been really, seriously affected there's been like mothers and fathers in the school where my kids go to school who have been lost yes. so it's hit us really hard so I as much as I want to get back I just don't think it's responsible yet to start um, so we're going to continue the telehealth for now but I definitely can't wait to hug babies again <laughs> I almost feel like that was my fix and now I'm like oh I want a baby but I don't want a baby but I kind of just need to hug a baby <laughs> I get it I get it they come here they sit right behind me where I'm sitting right now in my office and just that I'm always like can I take the baby can I you know can I show you what we're gonna do here and so yeah I mean like holding the baby and just getting in that you know feeling the baby's face and demonstrating the mom and dad and you know, or whoever's here with baby, like it's, it's definitely different. Um, I'd say, you know, we can do like 
90% of like what we need to do to yeah, be effective exactly. over teletherapy. But there's definitely that 10% where for a couple minutes in the session where like, if I have my hands on baby's face and baby's mouth, you know, I can adjust the plan accordingly very quickly because I'm feeling what the muscles are doing and we can't do that over telehealth and the parents are not trained in how to report back to us. Like they can try to carry out certain treatment plans and they, you know, and I think it is benefit benefiting baby, but I wonder like how much more would we be benefiting if we did have the hands in the mouth, you know, for these little ones. Um, I'm, I'm noticing with like my toddler on up crowd, a lot of them are actually doing better, faster, like making some like more significant changes in a short period of time. And I think simply from that, it's actually because the toddler themselves and the parents are able to like really own it. And so that's been kind of cool. But you know, obviously when it's more passive on like a baby, it's a very different experience. So, um, so thank you for sharing that with us. Cause I think so many people are like yeah. curious to hear like how it's going, what people, what other people are doing. And, um, I know you mentioned also that you've been able to do like more virtual consults this way and really reach more moms. So are you actually like going beyond New Jersey? Is it all within New Jersey, but just like for further distance from where you're located? Like, how are you doing that? Um, I'm doing, I'm doing sort of like wellness stuff. So it's just a lot more education for the mm -hmm. people that are beyond and outside of New Jersey, because really we can't, can't treat, treat like, right. Yeah. They, they've, they've let, you know, they've, relax them a little bit and but it's still very gray in terms of what's allowed and what's not and I'm very black and white when yeah, it comes yeah. to that um, so it's really just a lot of education and I'm sure you get this a lot um pictures because <laughs> my baby tongue tied you're like no 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 we're not going there yeah. I cannot diagnose on a picture <laughs> that I I need my fingers and so I tell people I say I trust my fingers more than I trust my eyes and unless I can feel then I'm not confirming or denying anything mm -hmm. um and so it's really just educating about what they could do how they can help you know, and not really, um, you know, just helping them along the way, these virtual consults. And it's been good because some of them don't know where to start. And, you know, as um, a TOTS therapist, this is post-grad work. It's very specialized. So your average speech therapist, your average PT, your average dentist um, is not going to know about this unless they took the time to train. So, you know, by the time they come to us, they've been dismissed a million times and they're very discouraged. So just like having a space for them, I think, is really um, helpful and, and giving them some tips that they can do that they see benefit even if they can't immediately get released or whatever the case is. So in that sense, it's been really helpful for parents. That's awesome. And I know that you've actually also mentioned that you're working on a few projects to make some of this information more accessible to parents. Can you share a little bit about that before we wrap up today? <laughs> um, sure. It's all sort of just in the works, but um, it's basically what we were just talking about is like giving a space and a voice for parents who are like Googling late at night, um, <laughs> that, you know, just to, to give them that to, to help ease some of the anxiety that they face and validate the symptoms that they are seeing and feeling with their kid because really they just want to help their child. Yeah. And so just creating programs that instead of just being able to help the people in New Jersey because with my license, I'm guided by rules, that this can sort of open up to the entire world. Awesome. I love that. As a business person, I always love hearing what other people are creating. And, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing is um, – I feel all, all of us have a job in this space to make this information more readily accessible, whether it's to parents, clinicians, whoever. And so, you know, that's why I might spend an hour creating one little Facebook or, or Instagram post of like what cups to drink from or what, you know, I 
like, is that how I want to spend my Friday night? Not necessarily, but like, if that means that like, I can get more information out to a parent through a visual and to other therapists, then we can start a dialogue on that. And I can help educate as to why I recommend one thing over another. Like to me, like that is time well spent because you know, with the whole point of this podcast, I went to look for it. It didn't exist. And I was like, I've got to put this information out there. We've got to get it out there. And, you know, it's similarly, um, there are other practitioners in this space who are, you know, working from that same mindset. And so it's really, really fun and awesome and exciting, I think, time that we're in because, you know, the more people that step forward and like offer this information and also, like you said, for parents, validating that like they're not crazy and what they're seeing is a problem and even those seven other health practitioners have turned them away like your mommy gut and your mommy brain are telling you that something is not right and you know that and you're correct something is not right and I might not be able to be the one to diagnose that but I can confirm that you are on the right you know right path and like hey if this is this for me I would go talk to this person this person this person next which is why I get inquiries on social media and in my email inbox every day, whether it's yeah. from like practitioners or parents, like, Hey, um, I think my child has a tongue tie or, Hey, I think we need my, or, Hey, like we need an ENT or, Hey, you know, we need this person. Like, can you help us find it? And I will turn around and I'll email listservs that I'm on or go to Facebook groups and ask because they don't have access to those. Right. And so, you know, my, my goal, if I can connect families, like that makes me a happy person because I just want them to get the care that they need. So, um, so thank you for what you're creating. I, we don't even know necessarily like what it's called or what it will exactly no. be yet, but that's okay. I love it. I love the idea behind it. So keep us posted on like when you do want to, that would be really cool, um, to, to know about and where can we find you or can everybody find you? So I have, um, two different Instagram accounts. One of them is milk matters PT. Um, that is specifically for babies who may have liver tongue ties. Um, I also have my traditional PT business, which is in-home pediatric PT. Um, both of those are the same on Facebook as well. Um, I manage them myself. So if anyone wants to send me like a DM, um, I'm going to be the one to respond. And um, I also have a website, which I know you're going to post, um, but it's inhomepediatricpt.com. And that's it. As information is all out there. Thank you so much for having me. This really means a lot that we can communicate like this. I know this has been such a blast having you on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 